Welcome to the Heart of Healing, the Healer's Journey, the Pandemic Episodes. I'm your host, Tom Fold. In these episodes, you will meet loving, talented people who, while coping with their own pandemic stress, are offering others understanding, compassion, love, and ways to relax and heal even under the weight of current conditions. Listen with an open heart to those who, in this time of crisis, are offering their hearts and talents to us all. And I'm happy to introduce you all today to Kevin Torino, who is our guest and who is an emergent healing practitioner. Welcome, Kevin. Hi there. Yeah, it's actually, I know there's so many vowels in my name. It's confusing my whole life. It's been difficult. It's actually Troiano. There's so many. Um, uh, I, 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 I <laughs> no, ask you that before we start. That's I my main it's... pandemic stress is my last name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> done that. You know, my last name is Fold, and there was a time when I was a, a teenager that there was a horse, my name is Tom Fold, to so the horse right. was running, at that time called Tom Fool. So many people, <laughs> whether intentionally or unintentionally, would call, yes, call me that. that's right. Yeah, I've been I, called I, Toronto, I, Toronto, you name it. It's uh, I'm interested in what people come up with, because it's the T-R-O-I-A that throws people that many vowels in a row. It should have been a Y or something just to help us all. But anyway, we'll blame the ancestors. Yeah. <laughs> always, always best to blame them. <laughs> yeah. Well, welcome, welcome. I'm glad you're on this show. So Tell glad to be here. My biggest question to you is what is emergent healing? That sounds wonderful. Can you tell us? Yeah, no, it's 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 a lot of fun. I've been um, working um, a long time in, in this sort of in sort of mode. And basically emergent healing is excuse me, the, the result of um, a lot of uh, training, kind of like a jazz musician, you learn your scales, you learn your anatomy as a body worker. It's a very similar thing. And my teachers used to say, after you learn your anatomy, you just kind of put it in the background. And much like with uh, the great jazz players, you, you really learn your scales and, and you learn the harmony. And then when the song is going, you just put it in the background and kind of play around with what you, what you know. And Emergent healing sort of emerged for me after two years of extensive meditation around 2005, right around the birth of my son, Joshua. I just started to get, I guess, more, <clears throat> more information. So emergent healing is based on the idea that um, we're antenna and we're capable as antenna, like in the old, remember those old... Uh, the buttons in the older cars, Tom, where you, you, you'd, you'd sometimes have the station and sometimes it would be half static and other times you'd have to nudge it a little bit and right. you'd find the station. Absolutely. For people who, who work with intuition, it's a tricky word for me because intuition emphasizes the practitioner. But when we think of ourselves uh, as an antenna and a well-tuned uh uh, sort of radio what we realize is, you know we're not the music but we're just tuning in well and my job is to try to tune in well and basically emergent healing is <clears throat> taking the premise that the the body has a plan for its own healing but where as a cold for example is a very small thing in the body that the fluid intelligence of the body is often effective at addressing large-scale musculoskeletal problems or emotional or psychological strain can be relatively massive compared to like a cold. So the cells in the body, in my opinion, have a desire to address those problems as well. 
It's just the comparative size of the problem that makes it hard for the body by itself to address those things effectively. So emergent healing is like an offer to the heart, to the soul, to the body. Like if you had a pair of elbows, a pair of hands, if you had someone that could work like a midwife or a doula with this person's process and help them give birth to their own healing, what would the body tell me to do to help them do that? So immersion healing really takes all of its cues um, from the person's body. Um, but it also, as you might imagine, Tom, is, is more is as much art as science. I always tease my clients like, I'm the saxophone player in the bar you showed up in, so you can leave if you don't like the music, but this is how I'm going to play the tune. And it really is an individual process. And it's fun for me as a practitioner of it because I do feel um, like it's just my interpretation of a standard, right, Tom? Like how everyone has their album of standards, you know, like Rod Rod Stewart does his album, other people do their albums. And to me, the body is the standard and the, the person is the unique song. And my job is to interpret it with them, like how we can make that come to life in a, in a new and fantastic way and help them maybe learn about things that they didn't even know they were carrying around and even dimensions to their song that they didn't hear. It's kind of as if someone shows up and the old graphic equalizers, remember that we used to have, Tom, where you just you lift this lever. Sometimes someone comes in and all the levers are down or one of the levers is up and the rest of them are down. And you suddenly start to lift these levers up and find good balance. And the person's like, wow, I didn't even know that was in there. And so a lot of what we do together is just find things that we didn't know were missing and listen to the body's plan for the person. And it's just been a real privilege to, I always tease my clients, like I'm like Winnie the Pooh, the body worker. I just go where the honey is. I don't really like to think too much about it. I don't like to strategize too much. And I'm sure that's a a fault in my work, but I love listening and responding to the guidance as I've come to understand it. Right there though is the key, is it not? You listen. Mm. Yeah. The very first thing, listen to the body. In your case, you're not listening as much to what people are telling you as to Mm -hmm. what they're sending on their sending apparatus. That's a really great point. And that's what Rick Hansen and Richard Mendius and their research of the brain, they call it mirror neurons. To me, this is all science. And basically, I, I tease my scientist friends like, <clears throat> yeah, there's, there's an apparatus that was invented in science a long time ago in the field of biology that helps with perception. It's called a brain. And I tease them because we're obsessed with creating apparatuses that can help us know things. And I appreciate the vigor of science, but sometimes in its vigor, it can miss the fact that we really do have a tremendous capacity together to, to sense way more. And our right. ability to empathically tune into one another is, is ready to be really tapped in these coming years. Um, and I'm excited to see us do that. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and also where we have come, at least this appears to me, and let's see how you feel about it. We've come to in the medicine world, uh, the, you know, the, the quote doctors and all have come mm-hmm. to a place where we're trying to find that pill or that mm-hmm. one thing that will cure you or, Mm-hmm. really cover up your response i suppose your, your... i love i love the all the different pathways up the mountain to me i'm so glad that these that every path exists and i hear you know in one of my favorite authors is bessel van der Kolk in his book the body keeps the score i love that as a psychiatrist 
he puts the upside and downside of psychiatry under a microscope and says, here's what we're really good at. And here's what we're not good at. And I love that idea of a person saying, this is where we're strong and this is where we could do better. And I think that we can take a really strong message from that together and, and resist the tribalism in a sense of us and them, good and bad, and instead say, here's the great thing about that. And also, here's another way of looking at it. That kind of inclusion is going to be a key down the road, I think. Well, when you're, when you're working with a, a client, mm-hmm. what is it that you are offering back to that client? You're listening, you're hearing mm-hmm. through their systems, however they're projecting to you that something mm-hmm. is off and whatever is off you're getting, what do you give mm-hmm. back? Yeah, that's, that's fascinating. I mean, I, I think we both discover together um, and, and like working together, we both discover that we sort of have a, a kinesiological, like Ralph Waldo Emerson said, every heart vibrates to the same iron string. And that idea of like, we can kind of feel together like, wow, that's a relevant spot in your shoulder. And we can kind of track it together and be like, wow, that's an area that that's what's so cool is that to me, the cells are saying, go here, do this, do that. I love that. It's just go here, do that. What's next. It would be exhausting for me personally to come up with a plan. I'd rather hear what the body uh, has to say. And and my clients um, seem to really resonate with what we find. And I kind of laugh. I'm like, all we're finding is we're like using a cheat code. The body's like, go here. <laughs> and the reason right. it's so relevant is because the body's saying, go there. And that to me, um, again, has a lot of advantages to it and, and is exciting for me. I have tremendous admiration for people who work um, way more uh, with a plan and have a tremendous mechanical understanding. I was trained in that and it's in there somewhere, I'm sure. But it is to me um, just more tr- maybe collaborative that I feel like listening and responding to what I'm hearing in a person's nervous system is, is just definitely my path for sure that I really resonate with. Right. Well, what it sounds like to me is that you're listening to the body and the body is telling you what we've all been told it is true, that the body knows how to heal itself. If you yeah. just listen to me. I will yeah, and if and we also address the the real mechanics of of going as far as the body needs us to go and going where it needs us to go, whether that's with breath work or a well placed elbow or whatever. Like you, we all have limits, as you know, Tom. In our in our practice, in our scope, like a like the medical field has specialties. No one practices the entirety of medicine, and there's a reason for that. It's so complex. So, with my limited skill set, you know, with my elbows and different things and different techniques, I try to address what I can. And I think that you're right. Listening to the body is, as a guide is um, a really sacred undertaking, and I've been. I've been inspired and, and delighted that the people who I've worked with have found benefit. And I also just laugh, like I said, because it's like so much easier than if I had to come up with a plan of how to be an effective practitioner, <laughs> I, I would be exhausted. Um, my brain just doesn't work that way, but I really do like the listening part for sure. And the body does with greater attention to detail. It's kind of like the old, you know, sort of pixelated for 4.3 TV set versus a modern ultra high def. Like as a practitioner, where you can get really good is getting persnickety about all the little details of what comes through. 
And that's basically what I try to do is a really high definition interpretation of what is the message. Because we get a lot of different hits and I, I tease my intuitive friends that sometimes we mistake the static for the music and we, we can get wrong information there. Um, but I like really getting a clean studio level quality recording of like what is the most detail I can work with a client on. And that's usually what we all remark on is the specificity of the work. And I can give myself a little bit of credit for being, again, pretty fastidious about how it has to be. And that's the snooty little artist in me that's like, this has got to go here, that's got to go there. Everything is very pointillistically like on the nose. So um, that is what I'm most pleased with as a practitioner is that I'm going to pay really, really close attention to what comes through. Is, your, is any of your work involved hands-on by you? Yeah, it does. I mean, I have been trained by Tom Myers in structural integration. I've been trained by John Latz in connective tissue massage. The person I most take away my inspiration from was actually a, an Asian body worker that I met of all places in like a mall in Chicago. He was just a diamond in the rough and an absolute genius that uh, I worked with. And just by receiving from him, most of my work comes from the techniques he he shared with me that I just kind of really feel inspired by, but it's definitely an improv. Each session is really um, just interesting and it's so different. I don't really replicate a lot of techniques most of the time. It's just, what does that moment kind of need? Which keeps someone, you know, with my attention span, <laughs> not bored. Uh, Cause it's just really cool. Like, what does this moment need to be? And you can address it, as I said, physically, but you also have an intuitive part or uh, There's an emotional part, an intuitive part, a shamanic sort of energetic dimension to it, you bet. And that that is kind of um, what's so neat is, again, resisting the tribalism as we do of like, this is this is the good technique, that's the bad technique, instead of in saying, actually, like Thelonious Monk said, there are no wrong notes, just bad resolutions. Like, you can use any tool. It's a question of, is it the right tool for the, for the moment that you're in? Um, and sometimes I, was, I could be aggressive with the breath work and overuse it back in the day because I was so excited about what I was learning from it myself. And you can overdo body work and you can underdo. It's a constant little dance with the yin and the yang of the moment, especially as men, Tom, we, we tend to want to really, really have an impact and overdo and we can, and then there are other practitioners who really can be super helpful in passivity, but also sometimes miss some details along the way. So I like to modulate from a really yin receptive open space. My, uh, one of my shaman friends in Chicago, Tom Voitis says there's a Lakota expression that spirit does 95% and we do 5% and our 5% is really hard. <laughs> So I have a lot of different traditions that kind of inform my work and they, they create a nice um, openness to what needs to happen, that uncarved block, that this moment, what does this moment need rather than kind of square peg round hole forcing an issue. Right. Well, I also um, hear yeah. that what you're doing is you, you find the key as you might have to what this might need and then... Mm -hmm you know, use it and, but you also listen to that part. If the body says, no, no, I'm sorry, that was, I didn't mean that, mm -hmm. and another one. Yeah. You're yeah. open to taking and try another key. 
Yeah, no, that's, I told my son, I'm like, this is a, this is a humility, not an ability. Like you have to, you have to be willing in any moment to know that you could be dead wrong. And at the same time, have the conviction to go strongly in an area as needed, if that's the right thing. And so you have to be, to be shapeable into the right tool. You have to be willing to surrender that, but also have the conviction, like to know you have to work deeply on an area and follow it through and then resist the temptation to look at everything as, you know, hammer nail, like everything has to be deep and different traditions are like that. Like rolfing is so different as a tradition in body work than like craniosacral biodynamics. And I was grateful that I had a teacher in Tom Myers who studied so many different things that he told me, make sure to include things, don't throw things away. And I really think that's some good advice, you know, like just add it to your toolbox. Don't throw other things away in favor of other things. Just keep it all in your, in your back pocket. While also Tom Wright respecting that, you know, if I'm just a cell in the kneecap, I don't know anything about being a liver cell or a heart cell or a brain cell. Like I'm just a little thing I am. I think we're a little too hardwired by superhero culture to think of ultimate truth and the conquering, you know, know know-it-all thing is kind of silly. But I try to be a good little cell and the little part of the body that I'm a cell and the body of. So that just means trying to do what I what I can do and what's in front of me. Well, Kevin, what, going back a little bit to what you said earlier, the difference between <laughs> maybe some of the difference between men and women, you know, men say, fix it. I can do this and I'll fix you. Whereas mm-hmm. women to say, help, I'll help you heal as opposed <laughs> to I'll fix it. Yeah, yeah. You need to and take there's... That out. Yeah, that's that's such a great observation. And again, my biggest thing, Tom, is paying attention to how we get funneled into limited narratives. Like there are probably 60 to 70 percent of us that can really identify with that concept um, and, and, and maybe a large group of different people who see it really differently. And I'm just excited to see, you know, I trust each person to their moment because I'm not in their moment. I'm just in mine. So it's it's tempting when we do any of these talks about anything to have the kind of like Moses tablets grow out of our rib cage and be like, aha, I have the truth. But it's it's a very um, wobbly thing to to want to start talking ultimate truth. I think the concept of ultimate truth is consistent with the nature show primate thing of King of the Jungle. Like I want to conquer. And we have to, I think, make a distinction between the neurobiological drive to dominate with information or ideas or experiences versus the affiliative process of being more inclusive. But that's just how my particular sort of white blood cell stem cell operates. I really do trust the way other people are in the world, even if it's drastically different than me. So, What interests me also is the work you're doing is very powerful. And, and I would imagine would have powerful responses. Mm-hmm. Part of that, I would think, would be emotional. And mm-hmm. how does that work? I mean, not how does it work, but what happens for you and how do you help when you touch something, however you're touching it or however you're reaching it, it moves and then the body responds and the mind responds. I've seen yeah. It yeah, it's kind of interesting. It's sort of like, you know how in the news we can get really drawn into things. Like emotions and healing are, are a really sort of appealing thing for us to gravitate towards. I tease my clients and we'll ask them, Tom, like how, what year they were born. And someone will say like 85 and I'm like, okay, so you're an 85 Jennifer. And I act like they're a car model that we're just a couple of mechanics working on. 
<clears throat> and this helps them if they're in a very dramatic space or a highly emotionally charged space, sort of giggle a bit at the idea that our emotions need to be the core of all this. The heart chakra is, is just one of seven chakras and a lot of our emotions and our feelings run through that. And I, I'm perfectly fond of that chakra, but it's also just one of seven. And I guess what I mean by that is emotions are so important to so many of us because we, we struggle sometimes to deal with them, but there are just as many people who are so overly emotional who could truly benefit from a more um, resourced position of perspective so that they didn't really overemphasize their feelings. So as you know, there are just as many of us who are resisting sharing our feelings and connecting to them as there are people who are way too connected to every feeling they have. And it's important to remember that as, as practitioners that we have to look at what is that person's balance. But as far as you said, yes, it's very tempting to get into emotional process, but I really try to work with my clients on uh, giving the right context for the emotions so that they don't feel overwhelmed by them, but they feel like they can productively be with the feeling and be on the other side of it. So that's right. Well, that's, you know, that's, again, that's, that has to do with listening. If you can hold mm -hmm. people, you touch something that physically happens and an emotion comes up. If one can just be there for them. Brilliant. Hold, yeah. No, that's such a beautiful, that's a really beautiful point. And I think that, that, you know, the, the body is really perfectly set up to process and discharge things. And an image I share for my clients is this concept of uh, spiritual soldiers, this um, idea that, you know, an aware spirit can sacrifice an innocent human to do a job and absorb a lot of pain and sadness in a family or a lineage or a community, and then come out the other side of that and kind of be brought home like this, the way a soldier would be and reflect on the amazing work they did going through a tough experience for all of us. And this I've found to be really pragmatic and empowering for a lot of people, instead of having a tragic view of their emotions or their losses or a, a angry or regretful or resentful attitude towards things that have occurred. I've watched many clients take a really empowered position of saying whatever I went through and whatever I helped people through in the front lines and the trenches emotionally or physically, or you name it, it's really inspiring to see them be like, I accept that I love and forgive everything involved. And I want to work through what this did to me and focus on where I can go from here. That's, that's the thing I'm so thrilled to be a part of in their journeys is uh, kind of reframing their right. story as victim into hero. And that and, seems yeah. to be very pertinent today because so many people mm -hmm. are going through so much, like the frontline, you know, healing work people, the frontline service people who you are being affected yeah. by this tremendously. But then to, to help them see how this has moved them to a new place, a healthier place, that's wonderful. That's a great yeah. thing to do. I know. I mean, that's a great opportunity, right, for us, Tom, to be like, there, there are so many people we have to thank right now. And those people that have been on the front lines of this that are seeing stuff that you and I don't have to see every day, like where would we be without them, obviously, and definitely a tip of the hat and some serious gratitude. Like I can't do what they can do and I'm just glad they exist. And, you know, my mom was a labor and delivery nurse and other things. So I know a little bit about what it's like to have someone do some of this, but this thing that we've been going through has been truly exceptional. And we've seen so many people 
day after day rising to the challenge. And it's, again, I, I tease my clients, like I'm a division three human. Those are the pros, you know, <laughs> like, so, you know, it's kind of like, thank you guys for playing the game at the level you play it at. I can't play it at, at that level, but I really admire you for doing that. For sure. Before we end, cause we're getting pretty close. Yeah. See coming out of this, if you go to a place where the pandemic is really over, I don't know. I realize it may these things are never completely over, but when the, the larger sense of it is over, what do you see or hope to see your world, the world be like? That's a really, um, I, I always start with the idea of, again, like I'm just one little thing inside of a huge thing. I'm one of trillions of things that have lived and died on this earth. And so my commentary is kind of funny. I think humans really overemphasize the little things we have to say, but at the same time, I guess what I would hope for in my little part of this is that um, we would maybe reflect gently with zero shame or guilt that we are not living in an anthropocentric world. We are simply something that has grown out of the earth like everything else. That would be my hope. And that what we might take away from this is that... um, sort of that joke that was in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Tom, where he's like, you know, it's long been known that dolphins are the smartest species on the planet and humans are, <laughs> you know, it's, it, it's sort of this comment on we are part of this. And that for me is, I think, something we think about a lot. I tease my friends that Buddha statues are everywhere because the Buddha is the thing most missing from human consciousness. So it's all over the place is a sort of effort to say, hey, remember that that fella and some of the concepts, I think what might be needing to be understood from this process by all of us is that we are vulnerable and that we are, um, we're in this together. And also we're supposed to be really different people. We're not supposed to be all on the same page. And my image, Tom, is that the tent pole, the old timey tent is a great metaphor for us. The tent pole is the inclusion of a lot of different views and the tensional pole of the wires are all the unique ways we are in the world. So I trust people who see the world really differently than me. I don't need them to be on the same page because I trust their pull, but we need to have a tent pole that, that we can all agree on, which is that each of us has a right to the way we are in the world. And, um, I guess what I would want us to take away from in this, Tom, is that science and math and choice and a really dispassionate, factual thing of like disease is disease. We wanted to cure AIDS in the 80s and 90s, but it took 40 years to have a better handle on that disease because it's complex. Stuff is complex. If you love God, then you should be interested in the reality that God created in its deepest detail. If you think loving God means paying less attention to what's going on, I would challenge you to revisit that concept. So I am a little bit concerned in our world of the oversimplification that we do about reality when, in my mind, if we truly want to honor whatever we might have believed has created this thing, we would be increasingly interested in its actual detail. Absolutely. And we'd all be in the tent. And I'm I'm really glad you're in the tent. I think <laughs> under that wonderful big tent. 
So thank you so much, brother. Here. Yeah. Just before we do, though, if someone who's listening to us and who's enjoyed it as much as I have and maybe has more questions, how would they get in touch with you? What's the best way for them to reach out to you? Just my my uh, complex silly name, Kevin Triano, T-R-O-I-A-N-O at iCloud.com is a great way to just reach out to me. Um, that's that's going to be the safest bet. My website stuff is in transition right now. Otherwise, I'd love to give that, but I'm I'm remodeling and doing all that stuff um, okay. under construction. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you, Kevin, so much for being here. Uh, thank you, Tom. This has been great. It's been a pleasure talking to you. And I also want to thank all the people who are our podcast family, like yourself, who listen each week to these things. And uh, thank them for being here and thank them for supporting us and asking those wonderful questions of, so I can ask to other people. Have a great week and we'll see you all back here next week. Take good care.